Hello, welcome to Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today's guest is Jack Sell, who many of you will be aware of as being a reporter. Reporter? Correspondent? Um, it's Jack Searle, anyway, from Health Service Journal. How do you feel? That, how would you describe yourself to, to friends and family? Are you a correspondent, a reporter, a... It depends. Well, friends and family, poet. I'm... Poet. <laughs> <laughs> friends and family, I'm a journalist. I think it's yeah. just, you just keep yeah. it easy. If you need to, yeah, if yeah, you need yeah. to explain, if you have to have like a supporting sentence to explain mm. what your job title is, then you're in trouble. But yeah. I mean, formally, I am the senior insight correspondent for HSJ, which basically means I'm the procurement correspondent. Splendid stuff. Splendid stuff. I was a uh, journalist for many years uh, prior to doing what I do now. Um, you know, and uh, uh, yeah, I just I'd say, I think I went with, I think I went with journalist. I think, I think same. that's generally... <laughs> what i went for (laughs) you're either a journalist or or an editor maybe if you if if you're an editor then you can call yourself an editor otherwise it's just don't labor the correspondent or what have you because you're just complicating things but journalist absolutely how how did you how how long have you been at hssj because i think i'm right in saying that you weren't your procurement was a gig you took up at hssj having already been there um the 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 name of the guy that did it before, the name of the person that did it before, escapes me. But um, how did you get to HSJ first? How long have you been there? So I joined in the summer of 2018, if memory mm-hmm. serves. Um, uh, and I've had various briefs um, uh, since then. Did a bit of public health and health inequalities. I covered primary care for a while, which was good fun. Um, writing out the GPs and, and, and all that was happening to them. So that was through like, the development of primary care networks. It was quite interesting, a lot of upheaval. Um, covered finance for a bit. That was um, uh, that was a sort of gateway drug into procurement. Yeah. Um, and now I've been doing procurement, solely procurement for the last ooh, six months or so. Um, uh, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, before that, I uh, worked as a um, journalist uh, covering... A um, bit of a departure, actually, covering um, the U.S. war on terror and counterterrorism operations from a, from a desk in North London, which was quite interesting. Um, and decided after taking a few months out after that job, um, I might have a slight change of direction. And found the NHS. Um, uh, well, it's found the HSJ was looking for someone, um, and very fortunately managed to land a land a gig with them, which is where I've been since. So you you thought you were you were coming away from the you know the the crazy crazy spiral of stress and uh, global effects and uh, <laughs> high stakes pressure and then you came right into COVID pandemic and the NHS it must have felt quite similar in a way it was well, I mean it was um, uh, yeah I thought this is going to be great I'm going to have something that's just going to be kind of not even the UK wide but just yeah. England really focus, really kind of comp- easy to sort of compartmentalise and get your head around, um, which was more wonderfully naive to think that I'd ever be able to get my head around the NHS in general, um, uh, let alone little bits of it. And then, yeah, COVID happened, which was um, uh, interesting. I, had, I think I was fortunate compared with some of my colleagues who joined after me. I was fortunate that I joined when I did because I had enough time to to get an understanding of if not an understanding of how the NHS works, then like an understanding of how little I knew about how the mm. NHS worked. So I knew like I sort of 
gauge my own ignorance, which meant when things hit the fan in 2020, I was a bit more prepared to 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 know what to what to write about and, and what what how to try and find out what, what's going on. Um, so yeah, having a bit of a run up to the biggest health story of the century was mm. was, yeah, was, was good. It was pleasant. <laughs> would, pleasant. Yeah. Agreeable. Yeah, not, I would not like to start <laughs> cold. Day one, 17th of March, 2020, um, uh, uh, which is almost what happened to some of my colleagues and who've done brilliantly to, um, to, to deal with that, deal with working from home and a whole new beat and a whole new um, uh, world that we now live in. Yeah. What, what's it like happening? You know, I, I can remember I was when I, I was writing for Reed um, uh, Business Information or whatever, Reed Business News, or whatever it was, but you know, they had numerous sort of publications, Spirit uh, Weekly, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, I can remember being there as a journalist when 9 11 happened and how that kind of like knocks everything out, out of the path, and you, you just have to concentrate on that. What was it, what was it like in, in the HSS? hsj newsroom you know when the whole covid thing and the ppe stuff and that whole thing happened mm. um because it's like you know most one of familiar thing from uh just you know people outside of the industry is you, you always think to yourself you know there's a period there where literally the only news revolved around covid and it was a period of like you know 18 months two years and you're sort of mm. thinking what would have been on the news that night if COVID had never happened, you know, just think of the amount of story. What was it like at HSJ? Was it like, you know, and I've, you know, to some extent, I mean, I, I know what it's like in news and stuff like that happens, but was it like, right, every story ha- has to be something to do with this PPE thing and COVID yeah. and how that all links to the supply chain and everything? Well, oh, the PPE thing, though. So my predecessor in this gig was um, Katie, Katie Hignett, who's... Um, uh, oh, yes, Katie, uh, yeah. Moved on to brighter and better things so we still we keep we keep a hold of she does a bit mm-hmm. of freelance work for us because you never truly leave hsj um yeah. i mean there was a period when she was basically kind of just vanished off our screens because at this point we're all working remotely so she sort of disappeared yeah, sure. because she was working so hard on covering this unfolding kind of mini crisis in within the wider crisis mm. but it was the, the the speed at which we went from and I think this this probably is a nice little microcosm for the rest of the country, really. The speed that we went from a sort of slightly blasé kind of, it'll all blow over, to yeah, we're working from home, here's this new thing called Teams, and you can't write about anything other than COVID because that's the only game in town, um, was was pretty breakneck. Um, I think it's... it's, it's so you'll know this, but for the for you, for the for the wider audience, sometimes <laughs> as journalists you say things which seem a little bit distasteful. Um, uh, but it was actually quite sort of exciting in a way because it's it, it was it was all encompassing and all consuming, and 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 all of the people that you're talking to are in the midst of a very yeah. difficult and um, fast paced environment and are doing extraordinary things that Mm. you then get to write about um and i think that thinking back to not just in terms of the procurement side of things but across the piece in the nhs in those first sort of few months um few weeks and months of the pandemic when we went into lockdown and um everything got reorientated and reconfigured and i was still covering primary care at the time and just the, Mm. the the pace at which gps and um, uh, other primary care clinicians and administrators um, 
shifted and completely remade and transformed and rebuilt their service uh, almost overnight was was inspirational. Um, so it was an awful time, obviously, and we wouldn't wish to go back to it for a second. But in terms of the reporting and coverage work, um, it was it was kind of almost it was it was fascinating to be a fly on the wall watching people. Um, uh, uh, well, yeah, do, do what they did and manage in the way that they did. Um, but it certainly was a was a bit of a um, breakneck shift, I have to say. Um, we were we were on the cut, but I can't remember when we were all ordered to stay at home um, by the prime minister. The, the precise date off the top of my head, but like yeah. that was the day after we were supposed to, as a company we were supposed to have our pilot working from home session, where we we're all supposed to work at home and see how all of our like continuity systems operated. So we were kind of geared up for it anyway. Um, but yeah, it was remarkable times. Yeah, I mean, as you say, when you're when you're a journalist, and when I was a journalist, I mean, you, you do kind of like live to be part of. A, you do so many stories that are kind of niche, and um, maybe not many people are going to take an interest in or read. Mm. So when you're in, when you get taken on a, a major story of like national and international interest, then um, yeah, it is one of those reasons that you you, you become a journalist in the first place. There's an absolute, you know, you know, feeling. I, can, I mean, when I was still doing that, I think one of the big things were like, I can remember the, the big foot and mouth outbreak that happened there, you know, and 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 you know, being stuck mm. on a farm with some some guy in a shotgun being pointed at me, and um, after afterwards, you sort of think that was quite 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 cool. Mm. At the mm. time, you don't, but but you know, you look back in it, and it's about if you can. Um, it's 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 um yeah it's very much why you come into it so I yeah, I totally understand what you, what mm. you're saying there. How many articles do you reckon you've written um, about that have connected to COVID in some way since you've been I at HSJ no now? Idea. I have no idea. Got to be a lot, hasn't it? Lot, uh, hundreds maybe. A lot. I mean, it's I could I could go back through. Uh, one of the things that sort of I don't like doing this so much as going back through the archives and working right. out how many stories I write because right. I feel like I'm more productive than I actually am and it's a bit dispiriting. So <laughs> I, actually, I, thought I feel like I've written 100 stories this year and actually I've probably written like, not that many. Um, but yeah, yeah, but the effort that goes into this is what yeah, matters and the exactly and the impact, right. mm. not the volume. Um, but yeah, loads. And I, it was palpable at times how... For us as reporters, you know, are conscious that there was a lot going on that was not COVID related that we would need to that we needed to get to. Mm. Um, and I felt that also with sources and contacts I was talking to at times, certainly after the initial first wave had died down and we were kind of naively thinking we might return to normal in the not too distant future. There was a real powerful sense actually that people wanted to talk about something other than COVID as well. Yeah. And we kind of had these windows throughout the last couple of years where we would then shift back to more kind of day-to-day -day coverage of important issues around um, you know, patient safety or um, uh, uh, transformation or finances or not, not so much finances actually. Um, but you know the the, the the sort of bread and butter um uh and it was interesting actually how sometimes it's quite difficult to get people to talk to you about stuff and there was moments where where chief, a hospital chief exec was really keen to talk about the transformation yeah. work they were doing yeah, it, was, yeah. it was not like how do we build a new itu out of nothing in the space of a week it was it was something something different so 
um, uh, yeah, sometimes it's uh, uh, there are there, if we look back at the coverage, you'll see these sort of pockets of, of non-COVID stuff, which were, were quite an interesting period in the not themselves. Uh, before we move on from from COVID, uh, I'm going to let the audience in on the fact that you actually are currently suffering from COVID. Uh, you, you went through all that. You didn't even vaguely mention it, which I think was very brave of you. <laughs> what a trooper well, you are, Jack. Oh, I, I, I'm glad someone's recognised my courage and adversity. No, I, I, so, yeah, I, I, I'm, now, I'm, I'm still testing positive on the lateral flow test, but I'm fine now. It was pretty grim. Um, uh, a few days ago, a week ago. Um, uh, but it was, I mean, thank God for vaccines. Good old, um, good old uh, Pfizer and BioNTech and um, Oxford University and everyone else, because it was not pleasant by any stretch of the imagination, but it was not the worst cold I've ever had, mm-hmm. um, courtesy, of, um, courtesy of some, uh, uh, some excellent vaccines. Uh, it's a little bit disappointing to have got this far and have managed to pick it up at what feels like the yeah, tail yeah, end yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm actually, I was thinking actually that um, when when this um, this um, uh, podcast will go out just before uh, the P for H England event, mm. and um, I hope people don't keep their distance from you if, you, <laughs> if, if you're. You know, you're well enough to go there and you go, uh, they don't start keeping your distance. By the way, yeah. I, I'm duty bound to say that there will be a HCSA stand at P4H England as well at, at, at this point. And I'm sure you will be safe to approach Jack yes. at that event as well. I'll have my I'll have my negative lateral flow test laminated and I'll wear it on my, <laughs> wear it on, your my neck. on my badge. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I won't be going anywhere until I'm I'm testing negative sure. on the LFTs sure. because it's um. Uh, it's still out there. It's still circulating. I don't want yeah. to be a, be a part of perpetuating that. But no, I will yeah. be fine. I'll be up in Brum. That's right. And of course, you will be absolutely free of COVID by the time of our, of the winter, our winter conference. In November. <clears throat> no, in November on the 22nd, 23rd, which I know you'll be at, at, at Jack. And, absolutely. Um, you know, just a little reminder about that. If you're looking, you know, tickets are now live, are open. You can book your tickets now. You can find them on the events page on our website. Uh, you'll find details of how to link through to the page to book. And also you'll find it on our various social media streams. Jack, I'm going to move on from COVID now because it's an extraordinary period of change when it comes to NHS procurement. Uh, I wanted to get your take on how you how you think the land lies at the moment and particularly in terms of the the obviously the procurement bill which is really the big issue right now around that mm-hmm. yeah i think with the procurement bill um so i'm afraid is in my view is gotta to, gotta to wait and see i think the mm-hmm. first um uh, brief, uh, uh reading um uh, in the lords and the sort of as it as it was when it was introduced was interesting it wasn't hugely surprising compared with what was in the um the the consultation and the government's response to it at the end of last year beginning of this year um uh and also it it just it's sort of there's a lot in there that kind of fits with um uh moving from most economically advantageous to most advantageous all these sort of like drawing in components like social value weighting and, and so on which have been bubbling around in, in, in policy um, and 
kind of central um, proclamations for a while. Um, but I think talking to people who are more knowledgeable and learned than I, there's, there's going to be a lot more that comes out as it processes through the kind of legislative um, uh, process, you know, as it run, runs through the yeah. laws and then the commons and so forth. And it's going to be a, a very much a case of sort of wait and see to see what that what kind of sort of specifics and details come out um, and how that then affects the way the NHS buys things. Because I think one, one thing that immediately sprang to mind was that um, uh, in, in, in conversations I had with people when it, when it was first um, brought forward was it will be interesting to see the impact it has on, on NHS operations and the way that um, people in, in procurement and um, it, it, the, the, the systems and at the trusts, but also at the centre um, uh, implement it and use some of the different um, uh, changes that it's bringing, it, it will bring in. Um, and again, I'm afraid to say, it's sort of a bit of a wait and see. We have to just kind of—it's a bit of a bit of a watching brief yeah, yeah. As, it, as it as it makes its way through legislation and gets to gets to with what 2023, 2024, something like that. You know, after the six month lead in period, so there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge before we can um, really sort of think think carefully about um, implementation. One thing that amusingly came up in the conversations with lawyers I've had about it has been that they've, they've been quite guarded, not guarded, but they're just not willing to yeah. be too explicit on on their interpretation of it as yet, because it's still a bill and there's a lot of change that's going to happen. But also real kind of insistence that people need to make sure that they're not jumping the gun in their implementation of it, which I thought was quite, uh, I found quite interesting. More than one person has mentioned that to me, but you know, procurement law and procurement uh, regulations remain, you know, the old system and will do for quite a long time to come. Um, and we shouldn't, shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, I don't know, it's just the, the, the most recent conversation I had with somebody about it that came, that was quite a big part of the big topic of the conversation. So I thought I might mention it. Uh, yeah, and obviously uh, HSA President uh, Lord Hunt himself has taken a particular interest in the House of Lords, as of course the, the, the procurement the procurement bill is obviously extraordinary supporter mm. of NHS procurement professionals. And uh, just before we came on there, actually, I was just talking about when we were recording this a day after the the big House of Lords event and how well that went down. And um, the responses on social media, I guess maybe you've seen that, but some of the responses on social media have been people have been um, you know, really enthused that mm. we're fortunate to attend. Obviously, not everyone could. There's restricted people, but, you know, everyone was remembered in, in spirit uh, last night. Um, I, I guess it's some, you know, I was, I was talking to our, our, the HSA Deputy Chief Officer, um, um, Richard Whiteside, last night, and he said, he was just saying, you know, the change is the only constant in NHS procurement, you know? And I thought that, and literally like everyone agrees, you know, it's the, mm. if you're, if you're someone who, I mean, there's the, that people say, don't they, that people, that there's, you know, there's two kinds of people, people who enjoy change and people who don't. And I think NHS procurement is not, is probably not the place to be if you don't enjoy change because of the, <laughs> just because yeah. of how much it's, you know, it's always been, um, you know, rethought or reprogrammed or re everything. Mm. Um, and it, it's interesting that's that's always the case. I think there's always this sort of um, I think one of the things I, I pick up on with them is the human professionals at the, the the events that we have. It was 
same in the recent summer event will be the same in the winter event in November, is that uh, people have this kind of, you know, they they are they are prepared. Doesn't mean you want constant change, but you're prepared for it. There's this sort of kind of um, phlegmatic attitude, I suppose, to it in a, in a way, which I think is what you need. You know, mm. because it's in, it's in that role. And I think that's why becoming professionals, I mean, I've worked in a lot of industries, but they are so particularly committed and passionate about it. Because you got to, to be able to be, you know, throwing new new balls to juggle all the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Whilst also juggling, you know, the most unprecedented supply chain disruption, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. I think that's, yeah. I was, I was speaking at, um, we, uh, HSJ run a, um, uh, a, a conference in the, um, uh, late spring which I was talking about procurement at, and I had got a couple of slides together kind of explaining PTOM and ICS based procurement and the changes there and the new operating model from NHS supply chain and sort of sketching out what that you know the chain the key changes from that and what that means for um, for procurement and um, uh, I think probably like that, a week before I was due to present this the news reached my ears of Jackie Rock's new central commercial function so <laughs> so they all like to kind of rewrite my scripts and think before before two major overhauls of procurement in the new operating model and you know ICS based procurement which is yeah. normally supposed to start on the 1st of July will have done by the time <laughs> this goes out um, before they've even take, fully taken root we're already moving on to the next reform of procurement um, uh, which which made me made me that smile wryly. Um, thank yeah. Lord, thank the Lord for online news. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine the, uh, the, the, the days of going to a weekly dead, like, weekly print deadline are, are yeah. now happily gone because we can be a little bit more responsive to this. No, I completely agree. I think that the um, I think that the upheaval that the NHS is going through at the moment, just more broadly in terms of moving to integration and, and um, the health health and care bill. Health and care, yeah. Uh, Health and care act. Now that it's, it's, it's passed, um, has you know coming off the back of the pandemic or in the midst of the pandemic, but also just off the back of ten years or so of, um, of austerity and straightened budgets and challenges around um, around that and trying to improve performance and quality in the dwindling resource environment. Um, you know it. it it demonstrates the resilience of a lot of the people who work in the NHS. And then you think about procurement as a microcosm of that. And you look at the, um, uh, I was talking to someone the other day about the number of stockouts that they're trying to deal with at their trust. And so hundreds. And they're running around trying to find new antiseptic wipes because there's been a product recall and yep. etc. cetera. Um, whilst also trying to have the brain space to work out how they're going to knit together their trust procurement operation with their neighbour up the road, even though they both use conflicting kind of um, uh, kind of IT backend um, systems. Uh, so trying to work out how they can get their kind of those things to, to, to mesh together properly and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and make cost improvement program uh, targets of 3% or whatever it is this year. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's uh, it's I'm in admiration for the mm. for people to be kind of to to approach that with commendable sang froid and uh, and a phlegmatic attitude because it's um it's a lot to it's a lot to be dealing with at the best that, of times. It's 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 not for no reason that the um the theme of both the summer conference and the forthcoming winter conference at HCSA is recovery and resilience. Mm. Mm. Resilience mm. being probably the key word there. 
Uh, Jack, I'm going to I'm going to now I'm going to move you along from that. We're going to move you along to the fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, ha- ha- having gone through through that with you, uh, this is Desert Island Supplies part. This is where we try and get an idea of what what Jack what this we're at home with Jack's cell. <laughs> at home at Jack's cell, we try and get an idea of, of the kind of thing that you do. The end of the evening, mm. you've been beaving away on your 200th COVID related HSJ article. <laughs> And um, so we, we want to know what what you might take if you was on a desert island, and you could only take one album with you from an artist, and one film, and one luxury item. So mm. I'm going to start off with the luxury item. I think first. What luxury item do you think you're going to take with you? Well, it's it, it's. Um... You'll have to figure out how to enable this because it would have to be some sort of tablet device or something. But with restricted um, uh, utility, so that basically just so I could have a massive photo album of pictures of um, uh, me, my wife, and my daughter because I obsess over my... She's 18 months old and she's brilliant. Um, And I think if I was marooned on a desert island, then that would be a very good way of... um, uh, helping me through the difficult periods and inspiring me to find a way to escape so I can go back to the UK um, uh, uh, in one piece. So some sort of kind of compendium of, of pics of, of, of her would be my life. Some sort of visual vessel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something. I mean, a, a photo, a, literally a photo album, maybe, but it'll get damp. Maybe one um, of those digital, maybe one of those, have you seen those digital um, picture frames? Yeah. It's like a picture frame, but you, you put you load like a USB into it and it, it just revolves around. I'll leave you to sort that's out the it. details, I think Bruce. We're going to let you have a digital pizza frame. <laughs> I'm going to let you have that one. So it's a good luxury item. But, uh, what are you going to be listening to? That's a really good question. I think there's a, there's a bunch of... Uh, it's, uh, whenever I think about this in depth, I end up reminded of um, a Nick Hornby book, um, uh, about the bloke who owns a record station, record fidelity. label. Oh, uh, yeah, high fidelity. Yeah, his record shop even, and ends up producing a record mm-hmm. label at the end of it, um, where he uh, yeah does everything to list of top five. Um, but I think probably the thing that's on my favourite album that's on high rotation at the moment is uh, "Man Machine" by Kraftwerk. Okay, I think um, it's quite short though, so I probably ought to be getting some kind of. Some prog rock album. 50, that goes yeah, some, <laughs> three hour long. Some King track. Crimson. Yeah. Like no, no, no. Something short and sweet. I go with, yeah, Craftwork. And any, Craftwork. Well, frankly, any, any Craftwork album would do, but um, Man Machine's on my, on my mind at the moment. Excellent. Um, Craftwork, I like um, it. First LP, first proper disc I ever bought was, um, was Man Machine. Uh, though I have no idea where that is now. I think I played it so many times it sort of started to crumble to dust. Um, the needle doesn't pick up the sound anymore. So I've have, had you back, have you gone back to vinyl? I did. I've, have you I've, gone back I've, to vinyl? I went back to vinyl. Mm. Well, I, I, yeah. sorry to say this, but I'm not old enough to have been vinyl originally. Yeah. So I kind of um, picked up vinyl as a new thing a yeah. few years ago, but I lost it because um, I, I, I went back to MP3 because it's so much more convenient. 
<laughs> you realize, yeah, yeah. You realize, look, look, we progressed from this. What are we doing? <laughs> well, I it kind of got I just got bored of turning them over. So I just let me. I would, I would play the album through all in one go. Yeah. No, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That would be my. That would be my pick for the for the for the time what, what, you, what you're taking is a bit of visual entertainment. You can. I was. I always say a film, but some people have said, "Oh, can I? Can I take a TV box set?" I mean, you can if you want. You know. I mean, I'm. A, I'll allow it. I'd rather <laughs> if someone took a film, really. But <laughs> well, we'll go for something like all the the the, the entire back catalogue of Midsummer Murders or something like that. No, I would. Um, <laughs> um, uh, good question again, because again, there's plenty. Um, uh, but there's a, um, guys, I shouldn't really cite this because people listening to this are going to think I'm a terrible ponce, but, uh, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a French filmmaker called Jack Tatty who made these wonderful, yeah, Mr. Hulot, Mr. Hulot, so it's not his best, but it is my favorite, which is the Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, yeah, which is yeah. just well. Glorious. Um, Jacques Tate. I mean, I, I think a lot of people, I mean, I would hope would, would know him. You know, he's one of those, a bit like the Marx Brothers, isn't he? And Laurel and Hardy is one of those guys that humour is, is, it works as well now as it as, as it did then. Mr. Bean was sort of a low rent, Jacques, <laughs> Mr. Hulot, wasn't it, in a way? Because yeah. it's largely silent. It's a good point, yeah. No, I mean, I think, yeah, it's a sort of slightly sort of, I mean, picking a picking a largely silent black and white French film for my for my luxury is perhaps a bit a bit left field. But no, I agree. I mean, it is it is timeless comedy. Marx Brothers is probably a better comparison than um or something like Harold Lloyd than um yeah. than, than Mr Bean. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Great, I love that. You you got you got a bit of Jacques Tate. You've got craft work, and you have got your digital photo frame. I mean, I will say this, Jack. I don't think sometimes we get repeat repeat uh you know repeat music <laughs> repeat films but you know but i think i think you've done it there which was great actually at the summer conference you know um who was it someone asked me came up to me that listens to the podcast and actually said to me come on then what would what Ooh. would you be taking on your desert island uh anyway on next week's podcast <laughs> Come on, Bruce. Well, I will. I will reveal it. Maybe I'll reveal it. <laughs> I'll, I will. I'll... I did actually say so. So anybody that was actually around that table in the bar at the time, mm. very luckily, very luckily, got it. I might. Maybe I should put it out on Twitter to get people to maybe sort of guess what it, what yeah. it might be. Yeah, um, that would be fascinating to see <laughs> an insight into. Maybe. Into your uh, maybe, into maybe I'll tell you at the Winter Conference. Yes, no, I go come find you in Birmingham even if I only get oh, yeah, a private yeah. insight yeah. off, off yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. I might I might I might I might I might tell you in Birmingham uh, at PVH, or I might leave it to our to our own conference in Manchester Central. That that might seem more like the pertinent thing to do, perhaps. That's probably the so final. Like, I might also, make you wait. You'll let the anticipation build, exactly. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly right. Jack, thanks for taking the time out from both your work your uh, young child and also from your COVID. Well, that is a, a hell of a trinity of things you have <laughs> forgone. You have forgone to talk to me. Um, thank you very much for that, Jack, um, again. And uh, we'll have you on again at, at some point, maybe talk about some yeah. specifics, having done this sort of introductory episode to you. 
Um, Absolutely. No, it'd be a pleasure. It's been a joy. Thanks very much, Bruce. Brilliant. And I hope you can uh, listen again on the next episode of Supplycast. Bye. Bye. <laughs>